0: Well, today I want to talk to you about um, Better Than the Prophets from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You know, we're bombarded by messages that claim that products are new and improved. You know, I take these things a little too literally, so when I see new and improved, my first thought is, if it's brand new, how can it be improved already? I mean, you've gotta start with something in order to improve it, right? And uh, so, uh, I don't know about new and improved. Uh, here's one, uh, new improved ego waffles. And my first thought is, what, were wrong, what was wrong with the old ones? <laughs> I haven't had one in decades, but I mean, a waffle's a waffle, right? Yeah. And uh, this one really caught my interest. Um, Chihuahua jalapeno, Um, and it's not a new breed of dog. It is is a a cheese sauce, um, I think for hot dogs. So anyway, that's interesting. Here's another one, Chips, Chips Deluxe from Keebler. And it, in big letters it says, new look. In small letters underneath it, you find out the only thing that's changed is the bag. Not the cookies. But they, they, you know, they want to make an impression. And here's my favorite. New look. New improved formula. Feel the peel. Peels off the skin in just three days. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get a Band-Aid... I want something that doesn't peel the skin off. I don't want one that peels my skin off in three days. So that um, sometimes they kind of miss. But you know, the the book of Hebrews is a book all about Jesus and how in every way He's better than the old elements of religion that were familiar to these readers. There is always a temptation... (laughs) To think that going back to something that was familiar, the old ways, the way of life of those around us, that that provides a way out of any current difficulties or pressures that we're experiencing you know Israel constantly and i'm I'm reminded of this because in reading through the Bible uh, in a year you're if you're like me you're in Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers about now, and over and over again they wail, oh, that we would have stayed in Egypt where we had fish to eat and where we had leeks and garlic, and I can identify with that. I like that kind of stuff. But they conveniently forgot the wail of babies being tossed into the Nile be devoured by crocodiles they forgot the crack of the whip of the slave uh, drivers that were over them all they thought about was the good stuff and they seemed to set aside the horrible realities and people do that with their faith they look back and they say well when I was in this religion we did this oh I enjoyed that but did you have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and a certainty of spending eternity with him? What's better, social experiences or the certainty of eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ? So the writer of Hebrews, and I don't want to start a controversy, who I believe was the Apostle Paul, that was something Ira and I agreed on and we had other people that argued with us. but. Um, and I d I don't know where Zach's at on that, but he he uh, maybe he hasn't even have you come to a conclusion? I don't think it's Paul. <laughs> okay. Well that's all right. We have good friends that that disagree with us. Dick Hester. I don't know if you knew Dick or not, but Dick did Dick and Ira would talk about that. Well Hebrews shows us that one of the reasons that Jesus is superior is that He is sufficient. That salvation is not Jesus plus anything that any man or angel or priest could do. Jesus is the sufficient Savior, the final and complete payment for sin that's required to make a person right with a holy, almighty God. Jesus is shown to be supreme holding together the creation that he brought into existence and that right now he is seated on the throne in heaven from which he rules and reigns. The amazing book of Hebrews begins in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 with this. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. On high. We want to see in these next moments this morning that Jesus is better than the prophets of old. We're going to see how God spoke in the past through the prophets, but we're going to also see that God has now spoken to us through his son and how Jesus is superior to the prophets. You see, God spoke in the past, and yes, he used prophets Hebrews 1 1 again God spoke long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets the opening words of this letter are an affirmation of Israel's interaction with God through the previous centuries it it identifies with the readers Uh, the author is affirming that God spoke and that he spoke to their ancestors You know, sometimes we refer to idols as dumb idols. And many times when people make comments like that, they're referring to the fact that you must have something wrong with your thinking if you're going to worship some chunk of stone or whatever. I I had an interesting thought this morning, is that uh, Jeremiah the prophet declares that God is speaking to them. and One of the things God is trying to say is how worthless their idols are because they look like something living but can't do anything. Uh, Jeremiah 10, 5. Uh, Jeremiah says, their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for They cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. Worthless, dumb idols. And then I had this kind of strange thought you know, I think modern man's idols do talk to him. <laughs> we have cars that tell us what we're, where we're to go, you know, and we crave that latest technology. We have computers that talk to us, that take the written word and turn it into understandable speech. But you know what? They're still dumb because they cannot speak for God. And they cannot give us reliable messages. They can only give back to us what someone has put into them. And so the Old Testament is all about God speaking. God spoke and the universe came into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, it's recorded 10 times that God said and something came into existence. This world was shaped and filled with life, including that of all mankind, because God spoke. God did not merely speak man into existence. But he formed him and breathed into him life and then spoke to with, and with the man and woman that he created. God spoke to Moses and the word of God became written. Joshua, Moses' successor, is told by God that his success is dependent upon his knowledge and obedience to the word of God that he had spoken through Moses. Joshua 1.8 This is the first time a man is instructed that he is to pay attention to the written word of God. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success the writer of psalm 119 would declare the wonder and necessity of god's word for living and a man's relationship with god your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path well how did god spoke speak (laughs) he spoke in the past through the prophets and how did he, how he spoke? First of all, many times. Uh, God spoke to Adam and Eve after they sinned and they asked, and asked, Where are you? God spoke to them and promised a redeemer. God spoke and called Abraham from Ur. God spoke to Pharaoh and delivered his people from Egypt. God spoke. To a succession of prophets from Moses to Malachi, and then God quits speaking. We call them the 400 quiet or silent years. You know, when we're trying to make a point, sometimes we'll pause, we'll stop, and we'll wait to see if everybody's listening, and then we will continue what we're saying. Well, in a sense, that's what God did at the end of the Old Testament. He stopped speaking. And men waited for 400 years to see what God would say next. And the silence was broken when God spoke in His Son. Hebrews 1, 2. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Well, not only did God speak many times, but God spoke many ways. God spoke directly to people through the prophets, plus He used many nonverbal methods. Consider a few of those nonverbal methods. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Abraham and Isaac's conversation. On the way to the very mountain where Jesus would die, Isaac says, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac knew how this worked. He was probably about 16 years old by then. It wasn't something new. He knew how sacrifices were made. And Abraham said to him, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now in that context, Isaac probably thought, oh, we're going to get up there and we're going to wait till God shows up with a lamb or sends one to us. But beyond what Abraham was saying, literally to his son, was that correct statement. In this very place, God will provide for Himself a lamb. Consider the imagery of the Passover, the Feast of the Tabernacle, the whole sacrificial system that God gave to Israel. All of that spoke of Christ. Consider God's dealing with a nation that repeatedly demonstrated His love and His holiness. Think of how God even used a bronze snake on a pole to show that believing God's word was essential for life. And Jesus used that picture to show Nicodemus that faith in him alone provides eternal life. Well, how has God spoken through his son? Uh, Verse 2, what did God say well one of the things that God said to us through his son is that sending his son tells us how awful sin is you know sin isn't something we like to talk about Lori had lunch with a co-worker here a couple few weeks ago and they were they, they, the subject came around. She was trying to share Christ with her. And the coworker said, I don't like the word sin. And, well, that's, that's interesting. That tells us something. And uh, Lori said, well, what word do you prefer? Uh, well, mistake. Well, mistakes are, you know, minor things we all do. But sin says, there's a problem between me and God. That word in itself implies that. We cannot overlook why God sent his son. And it was to settle the question of payment for sin and a way that sinful mankind could be reconciled to God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. There's, there, the sin has many, many more times the implication of a problem than does a mere mistake. And not only that, the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, the fact that God sent his son tells us just how awful sin is. It wasn't something we could fix. In fact, Romans 8, 3 tells us that God sent his son because we could not save ourselves. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. I I think of visiting with people and trying to share with them the gospel and to ask them, do you think that you are ready to face a holy God? I've been surprised how many people say, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, so let's look at that for a minute. Are you telling me that you have never told a lie? Actually, they just did right then. <laughs> well, only white ones. <laughs> well, you know, God doesn't classify them. That, that's a human thing. And, and what about coveting? Have you ever wanted something someone else had? Okay, you may have not stolen it, but did you wish it could be yours instead of theirs? Well, there's only two. (laughs) But that's enough, isn't it? Because the Bible tells us if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. And so law-keeping isn't going to work. By the time we find out what the law is, we've already broken it many, many times. Every child, before they can even talk, has reached out and grabbed a toy that someone else has because they wanted it, it's mine. You wanna have an interesting Christmas, have two cousins born a month apart that are both two years old And watch them play. And it doesn't all go one way. They're both equally guilty. And they both have already learned to covet. In fact, sometimes all it needs to take place is one kid to pick up what the other one just put down. And then it all starts. Law keeping, not going to work. The problem is we are sinners by nature. And no matter how carefully we live, we cannot change the fact that we are sinners separated from God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Further, the fact that God sent his son tells us how much he loves us. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, christ died for us nowhere is the love of god displayed in a greater way than in the cross the cross is the ultimate demonstration of how much god loves us and how far he was willing to go to redeem us first john four ten, in this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins you know the question we need to ask ourselves as well as our friends and our loved ones have we responded to God's love you know there's been many a novel written about how someone was passionately in love with another person and that other person just doesn't care and the agony and the suffering and all that they go through, and usually the novelist finds a way to turn it around at the end, you know, 300 pages of agony and 10 pages of resolution, and, and now everything's okay because the dummy finally woke up and realized just how much this gal loves him. It's always a guy, right, that doesn't get it. <laughs> um, maybe not in real life, but, you know, that's because... They don't expect the guys to be reading that kind of literature. (laughs) So anyway, but the greatest example of unrequited love in the universe is God's love for lost mankind. And how great that love is, and yet it is rejected and even abused. We respond to God's love when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we believe His death was our propitiation, the payment that satisfies God's just wrath against sin. Paul put it this way, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And propitiation is a word we don't use very often, but it means simply a payment which satisfies. And in this case, we're talking about the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the payment that satisfied God's just wrath against sin jesus is god's final word on sin and salvation and trusting jesus as one savior is a positive response to god's final word there's nothing else to say because jesus is god's final word about sin about the utter impossibility of man doing anything to save himself and it is the last word about god's love providing a way of reconciliation through the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross. Michael Card wrote these words. He spoke the incarnation, and then so was born a son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. Spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born a baby who would die to make it mine. Well, that's what God said by sending His Son. But what did the Son say? Well, the Jesus message was the same as the Father. Jesus explained to Nicodemus, and He used one of those many ways found in the Old Testament. In John 3, 14-16, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The people of Israel sinned grievously against God. And as a result, God sent deadly serpents into the camp of Israel as a punishment for their sin. When they cried out for relief, God told Moses to make a brass serpent and put it on a pole where it could be seen from anywhere in the camp. Anyone who looked at the serpent was healed. Now, there were probably people that argued looking at a brass serpent isn't gonna do any good. We need medicine. We need a cure. We need something but looking at a brass serpent, but the ones that believed what God said were healed and their lives were spared. And Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, in the same way that that serpent was hung on a pole, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And those that look to me and believe in me, and believe that what I have accomplished there is sufficient, they're the ones that are going to be saved. You must believe that Jesus' death for you, and that his his death was sufficient, and you enter into eternal life. Well, how is Jesus superior to the prophet's? Well, we've looked already at how God spoke in the past through the prophets, how God has spoken to us through his Son, but now we want to see how the Son, Jesus, is superior to the prophets. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, we'll read it again. Long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature so how is Jesus superior to the prophets well first of all because he is the son you know as we look at the descriptions of Jesus we need to remember the purpose of this author. His purpose is to show that Jesus isn't better, although that word is used again and again. He is really showing us they're not even in the same class. Uh, It's like trying to say in one sense that a bicycle, a mode of transportation, is great, but... A, a race car is way better than a, than a bicycle. When we went to St. George, in, in my youth, you know, in my teen years is when they introduced the Mustang, and, and when, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, man, if you could own a Mustang, You were really something. Only the rich kids drove Mustangs to high school in the early 70s. Well, I'll tell you what. I went down, I rented a Toyota Corolla. And when I picked it up, lo and behold, the Toyota Corolla had morphed into a Mustang GT convertible this was just a couple weeks ago in St. George. And um, my first thought was, I don't want to put gas in this thing, but hey, I've always wanted to drive one. Here's my chance. And uh, it was too cold to put the top down. I was afraid too, you put the top down on a rental, what if you can't get it back up? You know. So we just drove it. The ride was harsh and rough. And, man, when you've stepped on the pedal, yeah, it went like crazy, like nothing I've ever driven before. But the steering was clumsy, and I kept thinking, I sure like my Honda CRV a whole lot better than this. And, and you think of all those years, thinking, wow, that would be the ultimate. Well, guess what? It's not better. You know, and Israel looked back and they thought, man, we have the prophets. And God spoke through the prophets. And we're special because we have what the prophets said written down and we possess it. And this writer says, hey, prophets are okay. (laughs) Nothing wrong with the prophet. However... Jesus is a whole other class. First of all, because He is the Son. Jesus would declare that the person who saw Him had seen the Father. Prophets were good men. They delivered God's Word to their generation. But they were limited in the fact that they were just men. And Jesus was God Himself in the flesh. The prophets spoke about Jesus but they didn't even always understand what they were saying. Look at what Peter says here in 1 Peter 1, 1, 10-12. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving, not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels longed to look. What was Peter saying? Peter was saying, hey, the prophets talked about the Son but they really didn't even understand what they were saying. And it says even the angels wanted to look into it, but they didn't get it either. But now through the gospel, you get it. (laughs) You understand what the prophets were saying. And you've seen how it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So first of all, because he's the son. Secondly, because he's the heir. This indicates Jesus is the heir of the universe. It all belongs to Him. And we're called joint heirs with Christ because we inherit all of it as a result of being in Him. Jim had a, a great message last week talking about our inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. He is the heir and we are joint heirs with Him but then also because He is the Creator. John 1.3 says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus created everything that exists, and only God creates. Jesus created the universe, including our world, including people, including the prophets. The prophets are part of his creation. And the prophets testified to his greatness as the creator. But then there's another reason. Because he possesses the visible glory of God. That visible glory was veiled during Jesus' life and ministry on earth except for that one incredible day on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Apostle John said, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But then there's another reason. Because He is God in bodily form. The, it says here, and the expression is, the exact imprint of His nature. Uh, It's it's interesting because this word means to engrave. It's the same word we get character from. Everything that God is, every bit of his glory, every detail of his attributes is found in Jesus. Jesus is God in human form. And this is why Jesus could say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father the exact imprint of his nature. And then because he is the sustainer of the universe. It says here he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, if it were not for Jesus, this whole world would just evaporate. You know, it we scientists can tell us about all these minute particles that make up matter, what they can't tell us is what holds it all together. Now they've got suppositions and they've got ideas and we also know what happens when whatever is holding matter together is dissolved like in a nuclear explosion. <laughs> and, but that so far has been only destructive. <laughs> uh, Jesus holds it all together. Uh, it says in Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then because he is the perfect sacrifice for sin, it says here, after making purification for sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for sin. All of those millions of birds, goats, lambs, Cattle that had been offered in sacrifice never really permanently paid for sin. You know, as I've read through the Old Testament law over these last several months, uh, something I've, I've made a habit of for a number of years, the thing that overwhelms me is first of all, how could you remember how to do all those sacrifices? And then secondly, It seems to me that about the time I'd bring a sacrifice, I'd not make it home before I'd need to bring another one. I'd almost have to live there. And I'd have to have the cattle on a thousand hills for all the sacrifices that I would need to offer. And you know, that is exactly the point God was trying to make. The impossibility of man ever achieving a reconciled state with God apart from grace and apart from the sacrifice of His Son. The one-time perfect sinless sacrifice was sufficient. Four times in the book of Hebrews, the writer uses the phrase once for all to to indicate the completeness of Christ's sacrifice for sin. Here's one of those. Hebrews 9.12, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Not till I sin the next time. <laughs> it's covered. Just till I sin the next time, then i got to bring another one. And then if I screw up when I bring that one, I'm going to have to bring more to make up for the ones that I messed up. Jesus, once and for all, went into the holy place, and it was done. And then one last final reason, because he rules and reigns with God it says of Jesus, after he had purified our sins by dying on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This again tells us that the work of Jesus on the cross was completed. You read through all the furniture that was prepared for the tabernacle, altars and lampstands, and incense burners and arcs and coverings and curtains and poles and tent stakes and on and on the list goes of everything that had to be created for that tabernacle in the wilderness. But You know, there's one piece of furniture that you never see in the tabernacle. You never see a chair. <laughs> it never says that Aaron took a rest break and sat down after he offered the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Oh, well, you get done with that one, and now you've got a whole pile more to do. The work was never done. From dawn to dusk, the work went on till you turned 50. <laughs> and then they let you have retirement course now 70 is the new 50 (laughs) but the point being when Jesus died on the cross and rose again the work was done once and for all Jesus said it is finished and he sat down this tells us also that Jesus Christ is actively ruling and reigning over the universe you know the prophets inhabit heaven but Jesus rules over heaven and earth and the universe the prophets behold the glory of God but Jesus possesses all the glory of God the prophets are subjects of the kingdom but Jesus is the king. Don't miss the awesome glory of Jesus portrayed in these three short verses. I want to tell you, when I sat down to study this and prepare this message, my initial reaction was, how can I possibly convey all that's in these three short verses? The magnitude of what it has to say about Jesus Jesus is the God of the universe who became man to offer up his life in payment for your sin and mine. Jesus is not necessary. (coughs) He's not part of some salvation uh, formula. Jesus is enough. He isn't the process, He alone is sufficient to save us from our sins. And this brings us back to the message that every human being needs to hear. It's what we needed to be saved. It's what our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones need to be saved. And that is to trust in Christ and His completed work on the cross plus nothing else. Now let's look at these Hebrews. This book is written to a group of people and some of the people in that group had one foot in the kingdom trusting Jesus but their head was turned and looking back and they were thinking about man we had some great feasts <laughs> you know uh, think of it I think there were was there seven, seven? anyway God decreed feasts and oh man the meat. How we ate meat. And what a wonderful time we had. All the friends and relatives together. The the festival of booths. We got a week off and we just hung out and enjoyed each other and feasted. Oh, I miss those days. Some of them were saying. And 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 so they were they were torn and and i see that same process sometimes in in young believers oh but i remember what it was like in my former religion and the things we enjoyed and life was easy then i wasn't being ridiculed and shunned and and looked down on <coughs> And so the whole book of Hebrews is saying to these people, look, Jesus is, is, is it. Jesus is what you need. Don't look back, don't look around, and don't wonder if there's anything better than following Jesus. And toward the end of the book, our author wrote these words, therefore, And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What do we need to do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's better than the prophets, He's God of very God. And right now, He is seated on the throne of the universe. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Jesus. Lord, help us remember that when we experience maybe some losses because of our faith, uh, perhaps uh, relationships or criticism, Lord, help us to remember there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. Nothing better than knowing our sins are forgiving. Nothing better than knowing that our God reigns. And so, Lord, we pray that we go through this next week keeping our eyes on Jesus. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.